Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey guys, I'm Neil Ennis. And I'm Andres Bartos. This week, we're working on a huge September and October slate for our show, Passport, including Peru, London, Amsterdam, Dubai, Silicon Valley, and more. Stories about UFOs, spooks, art theft, and much more. So this week, we're doing a very special feed swap with The Alarmist from Erios. Writer-comedian Rebecca Delgado-Smith looks through history's greatest disasters to figure out what went wrong and who is responsible. A few weeks back, we were lucky enough to be invited onto The Alarmist to try and work out who was to blame for the death of Argentine revolutionary Che Guevara. We had such a good time on the show. Well, we'd like to share it with you guys here today. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to have some fun. So enjoy this and thanks again to The Alarmist for having us. So we'll be back next week with a new misinformation. This time, Russia. See you then. An Erios original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. 
My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing the execution of Che Guevara. Now, Che Guevara is a divisive historical figure. Some people consider him a hero and others consider him a terrorist. We're not here to decide whether he was one or the other. We're here to figure out who's to blame for his death. Here's what you need to know about Che Guevara. Shoot, you are only going to kill a man. These were the final words of Ernesto Che Guevara before he was executed by Bolivian forces on the afternoon of October 9, 1967. But how did this Argentinian-born doctor become one of the most famous revolutionary figures in Cuba? And what led him to be captured and then murdered while fighting with the rebels for a Bolivian revolution? Let's start at the beginning. Che was born on June 14, 1928, in Rosario, Argentina. He was the eldest of five siblings in an Argentine aristocratic family that struggled financially to keep up appearances. Early on, Che developed a distaste for the pretentiousness of Argentine high society and an affinity for the common man. At the age of 23, his leftist views were solidified when he took an epic nine-month motorcycle trip across Latin America with his friend, Alberto Granado. After seeing the poverty and poor working conditions at copper mines in Chile and tin mines in Bolivia, Che wrote in what is now known as his motorcycle diaries that the Yankees had taken everything and left the native people, quote, only an ox. After completing medical school in Argentina, Che continued his traveling, this time ending up in Guatemala. The country was led at the time by the second democratically elected leader, President Jacobo Arbenz Guzman, and was taking steps towards land reform in favor of peasant farmers. Inspired by Arbenz's socialist steps, Guevara decided to stay in Guatemala to, quote, perfect himself and accomplish whatever may be necessary in order to become a true revolutionary. In 1954, the U.S. mounted a campaign against the Arbenz government, culminating in a CIA-backed coup d'etat, which brought an end to the first 10 years of democratically elected government Guatemala had ever experienced. Che, who had worked as a medic during the conflict, was solidified in his stance against the U.S. and imperialism, which he blamed for Arbenz's fall. Quote, the last Latin American revolutionary democracy, that of Jacobo Arbenz, failed as a result of the cold, premeditated aggression carried out by the United States. Che escaped from Guatemala and went to Mexico in 1955, where he met Fidel and Raul Castro, revolutionaries plotting the overthrow of Cuba's U.S.-backed Batista government. He joined forces with them and in 1956 boarded a leisure yacht Fidel Castro had obtained named the Grandma. Che, along with 82 soldiers, landed on the island of Cuba days later. There, Che led the rebel forces as they battled on the Cuban countryside. His leadership was instrumental in the eventual success of Castro and rebel forces against Batista, culminating on January 1, 1959, when Batista fled Cuba and Castro declared victory. 
Che went on to help craft Cuba's land reform policy and serve as financial minister and head of Cuba's national bank. He was rising through the ranks and was now viewed by some, the U.S. most importantly, as a symbol of the growing threat of communism and anti-imperialist sentiment. In 1960, the U.S. declared an embargo on all goods in and out of Cuba, resulting in Cuba increasing ties with the former Soviet Union. The U.S. was deep into the Cold War, and they viewed Cuba as a direct threat to their anti-communist campaign. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. To halt this offensive buildup, a strict quarantine on all offensive military equipment under shipment to Cuba is being initiated. All ships of any kind bound for Cuba, from whatever nation or port, will they found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons be turned back. Shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States requiring a full retaliatory response from the Soviet Union. In 1965, it is believed that Che told Fidel that he wanted to leave Cuba to aid in other revolutions. Fidel was active in his governmental support for revolutions happening around the world, and Che seemed to be the perfect leader for this. Backed by Castro, Che led a group of Cuban fighters in a brief intervention in the Congo, which many viewed as a failure. He briefly and secretly returned to Cuba, where he began organizing his next move, this time to Bolivia, to aid in the revolution happening there. In 1966, he left for La Paz, Bolivia. Che and his guerrilla troops attacked Bolivian forces at will. The CIA recruited a Cuban-American agent, Felix Rodriguez, to go to Bolivia to help track down and capture Che. On October 8, 1967, the Bolivian army had managed to surround Che and his troops. Che had been shot in the leg multiple times during the gun battle. When the Bolivian troops eventually approached the guerrilla fighters, Che shouted, Do not shoot! I am Che Guevara and worth more to you alive than dead. Che was taken prisoner. The next day, the CIA's Rodriguez flew to La Higuera, where Che was in captivity. He was surprised by Che's appearance, later stating that the iconic Comandante looked, quote, like a piece of trash. He was a mess, hair matted, clothes ragged, and torn. Rodriguez told the Bolivian officials that the U.S. had instructed him to keep Che alive at all costs. He wanted to take him up to Panama for further interrogation, but the Bolivian government believed their only option was to execute Che. They felt that prosecuting him would generate sympathy for Che and Cuba. The final decision was radioed in. Proceed with the elimination of Che Guevara. The official story would be that Che was killed in battle. Rodriguez later stated that when he told Che that he would be executed, his face turned white, but he then composed himself and said, quote, it's better like this. I never should have been captured alive. Rodriguez then asked Che if he had any messages he wanted to tell his family. Che responded, Tell Fidel that he will soon see a revolution in America, and tell my wife to remarry and try to be happy. Rodriguez stepped toward him, and they embraced. Then, Che stiffened, expecting Rodriguez to be the one who would execute him. But instead, Rodriguez left the room. 
the Bolivians drew straws to determine who would execute Che. Sergeant Jaime Teran entered the room, and Che demanded that he be standing during his execution. Che noticed Teran appeared nervous, and then, almost scornfully, he said his famous last words. Póngase sereno y apunte bien. Va usted a matar un hombre. Many versions of this translation have it as, I know you have come to kill me. Shoot, coward. You are only going to kill a man. But in fact, the literal translation is, Calm down and take good aim. You're going to kill a man. Teran hesitated, but then opened fire, hitting Che in the arms and legs. Che fell to the ground in pain, but did not cry out. Then, Teran fired again. This time, he hit Che in the thorax. He was pronounced dead at 1.10 p.m. on October 9, 1967. He was 39 years old. Bestialidad imperialista. Bestialidad que no tiene una frontera determinada ni pertenece a un país determinado. Bestias fueron las hordas hitleristas, como bestias son los norteamericanos hoy, como bestias son los paracaidistas belgas, como bestias fueron los imperialistas franceses en Argelia. Porque es la naturaleza del imperialismo la que bestializa a los hombres, la que la convierte en fieras sedientas de sangre que están dispuestas a degollar, a asesinar, a destruir hasta la última imagen de un revolucionario, de un partidario de un régimen que haya caído bajo su bota o que luche por su libertad. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. After Fidel Castro formally took power of Cuba, Che was put in charge of handling the counter-revolutionaries who had been captured. He took over a prison called La Cabana and for five months heard appeals. But Che was ruthless. Hundreds, possibly thousands of prisoners were killed by firing squad. After he was executed, he was taken away and laid out in the laundry house of a hospital. His body was photographed and people were brought in to identify him. Many criticized the distribution of these photos as Che appeared lying with his eyes open, shirtless, bearded, and dirty. Some said he looked Christ-like. Che's hands were sawed off and preserved in a jar to serve as proof of his death. In July 1997, his body was found near an airstrip in an unmarked grave along with six other bodies. His skeleton was identified after they noticed it was missing both hands. Hey everyone, with us today we have producer Amanda Lund. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi guys. And very special guests, Andres Bartos and Neil Innes, hosts of the travel podcast, Passport. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, from Barcelona. Thanks for having us. Wow. You're in Barcelona? Yeah. 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 Oh, you nice. can't tell because they're, they're, uh, they're speaking out of a, a closet <laughs> or a black box. <laughs> we're in a very black. dark room. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I mean, you were the ones who actually brought this topic to us, which I have been 
kind of avoiding like the plague. <laughs> I got to start off saying this. Che is a bad name in in my house in my, growing up. So you are you is the delgado in your name Cuban American or? So I'm I'm half Cuban, half Puerto Rican. Okay. And, but I grew up in Miami, right. and that is like uh, you know those Che shirts. They mm -hmm. never, they never surfaced in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until I went to college and my grandmother came to visit me for my graduation in New York and she saw someone wearing a, a chair shirt and she was like, en mi puta vida. <laughs> <laughs> What's that mean? It oh. means it, like in my whore of a life or yeah, something, yeah. en mi puta vida. <laughs> mi puta vida. That's funny. Well, then I get to be the, the yang to your yin, I guess. I'm the, yes. the resident Bolivian in my country, in La Paz. You would have the face, the famous iconic Che over the University of Bolivia, which is like, imagine NYU with the face of Che on it for years. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Although yeah. I guess I can imagine. NYU for sure. Yeah, actually FIU. NYU. Maybe it's yeah. not the best. Yeah. <laughs> not the best example. Yeah, yeah. But, but FIU, which is, you know, the local Westchester, Miami <laughs> university, not so much. Great. I, I grew up in Australia and... The my memories of Che are of him on t shirts and on say, yeah. inside sixteen year old bedrooms, you know. Like <laughs> yeah. that's it. My knowledge of him is like I thought he was a musician until <laughs> until I met this guy here. It was like Bob Molly and Che. Yeah. The only thing I knew about che, yeah, Che for a really long time is that he was really photogenic. Yeah. That's all yeah. I knew. He's a good looking guy. Yeah. Very handsome. Yeah. Yes. He so was. will you guys take a minute to tell us about passport? Sure. Passport. Uh, Passport's a travel show, kind of. Um, it's more about stories uh, that kind of shape a city through the people in it or the music or the art or the culture. It's kind of a big open canvas for us to focus on why a city is the way it is or something that you might not know about it. Yeah. Um, and we decided to launch this podcast right in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Perfect it's time for travel. Perfect time for travel. <laughs> it's a it, it's a great show, and you know, in listening to it, it, it kind of struck me. It's like we here teach history through anxiety, yeah, and blame, and you guys <laughs> teach history through location, yeah, yeah. which is really That's nice. It. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly. a really nice way of putting it. <laughs> so I think you know, right off the bat, we need to talk about Che himself. Yeah. And we do need to put him up on the board. Sure. And now, Andres, you're going to keep me grounded. Okay. I would definitely <laughs> put him on the board for sure. Yeah. I would. Okay. Without a doubt. So, I mean, he, of course, must have known the risk he was taking when he decided to fight for so many different revolutions around the, you know, Latin America and South America. And... A part of that was his desire to travel, or as I like to call it, his his vagabond ways. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, as we know, he famously took the road trip mm -hmm. from you know Argentina, the motorcycle diaries, and this was a huge part of his awakening. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that period of time was crazy. When my grandmother arrived to Bolivia. At that point, if you were Aymara or Quechua, if you were indigenous and a white woman or man were wa was walking down the street, you had to get off the street and tip your hat. Otherwise, you would be like put in prison. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was the, the level we were playing at at that point. And this, this was, it. when wow. did your grandmother go to Bolivia? She arrived in the 40s, but this went through to the 50s, around the time when Che would have been traveling around, around yeah. this time. Yeah. So it was a heated time in South America. Yeah. Which, you know, it had been a heated time for a long time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of born hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Latin America was born yeah, hot. Was born hot. <laughs> Never cooled. And now let's take a quick break to speak with Professor Michael Bustamante, historian of the Cuban Revolution and assistant professor of history at Florida International University, about the political situation in Guatemala at the time. He so he gets to Guatemala in 1953. And what is this political situation uh, at the time in Guatemala, and how does he get involved? He, he arrives in Guatemala kind of at, at the tail end, having traveled most of South America. He ends up finishing his medical degree at one point, but then he continues to travel and, and ends up further north. And he ends up in Guatemala at a really important time in that country's history um, where a reformist um, kind of self-designated revolutionary president, um, Jacob Arbenz, who had been elected, um, is in power. Um, and he's um, attempting, you know, having been elected by the ballot box in a transparent election that is validated internationally, to carry out really broad-based um, reforms, uh, among which are land reform. Um, that is, taking land away from a small group of people who had an insane amount of it and trying to redistribute it um, in small private property. Um, this was a, a effort that was seen as radical, communistic um, in, you know, Washington, certainly at the time, um, even if the Guatemalan authorities didn't define it in that way. Um, so he's in the, he's, he's there in the midst of all that happening. And he's also there in 1954 when uh, Arbenz is overthrown by a coup that's orchestrated by the CIA. Um, that's not conspiracy theory. That's just fact. Um, you know, the documents are there to prove it. Um, and so he witnesses all of that. And, and having seen the U.S. role, which was in theory covert, but also pretty obvious, um, that, that also shapes in the long term his view of the United States, which is going to obviously uh, come to bear later when he shows up in Cuba. We can also talk about, you know, in, in learning about him as a child, I was really struck by um, his rebel rousing nature. Mm -hmm. Does that come from? Does that come from his family? Because his family were kind of wealthy. Was it like just an ultra rebellion thing? From his like, mother. His I mother. Think. Yeah, his mother was the was the sharper kind of person in the family. Right. The dad was a very romantic man who, would, whenever there was a war or something was happening in yeah. Spain, he was like, "I'm going to go there and fight." <laughs> Even when he did. And yeah. when Che went to Cuba, he was like, if anything happens, I'm going to go to Cuba. He's already like a 50 year old man at that point. <laughs> he also like had this like romantic, like he bought a plot of land in the middle of the rainforest yep. in yeah. Argentina. And he, he was like, I'm going to make a yerba mate farm. <laughs> like, <laughs> does it get more idyllic than that? <laughs> totally. Uch, do we put yerba mate on the board? <laughs> <laughs> We we will get so much Argentinian hate mail. I was gonna say, I was, <laughs> I was gonna go right to the source. I was gonna get really Freudian and say, let's just put his parents up there to be like straight away. 
<laughs> Honestly, we can. Were they kind of well educated too? Were they, yeah, they were doctors. They were from the upper class. No, they weren't doctors. Yeah, doctors. he he was one he of was these men that changed jobs constantly. Was always trying to be an entrepreneur, but was not very good at it. Oh, awesome! And she was a woman that could have uh, re- gone very far, but became a wife. So she spent a lot of time just kind of entertaining poets, playing solitaire. That's and what, that's what I do. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> And to your point, I think that they, you know, while they were in the upper class, yeah. uh, they actually struggled financially. And so a lot of energy was spent in maintaining appearances. Totally. Uh, and I can't imagine that that would, I can't imagine that that would really affect Che, like the, the his relationship with money and what it means. If we're going <laughs> to put the parents on the board, then we got to put his asthma on the board then. I agree. It was a big part of why they left the Yerba Mate farm and went to the city, absolutely. which, uh, you know, absolutely opened his worldview. Well, and, and it is defining to him because he always was struggling with that. And he, he couldn't play with the rest of the kids. He couldn't play football. He couldn't do certain things that there were months on end when he was in bed just reading. And it was fundamental to who he became because he would never give up. It was until the end when they had to carry him in Cuba through the Sierra. He was still like trying to fight even though he couldn't breathe. Wow. Like Marty Scorsese. Like Martin Scorsese. Very much like Martin Scorsese. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why? why is Scorsese? <laughs> I, I didn't follow <laughs> either. Marty, Martin, Scors- Martin Scorsese has like had like terrible, terrible like paralyzing asthma when he was a oh, kid. Oh, did he do? Yeah. And oh. so he spent a lot of his time inside reading not allowed to go out he went from his house to the cinema and back home again ah. and that was his thing yeah. and then he ended up you know also what's the equivalent fighting bolivian in the out- <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's no he's like dicaprio no we must do one more take i don't care about my asthma so you know we have asthma we have his parents up on the board um yeah. we can talk about his hubris so you know he goes to the congo it's it's it this is supposedly led by or, or supported by castro and the cuban uh government and then he it's a big failure over in the congo he yeah. comes back and that's when he goes to bolivia he seems to be like a moth to a flame, right? Like yes. He's, he's just yeah. sort of, yes. You know, have an eye for, you know, nose for trouble. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's why you got to put him on the board. After Congo, going to Bolivia, I mean, it's stupid. I come at this at the, from the opposite side that you do. So for me, I was learning about, like, the dark Che. And th- there's two Che's, or there's Ernesto and then there's Che. Ernesto, the, the guy that travels and that was kind of learning about Latin America and meeting all these people and having this vision of what Latin America was, that's, that's one person that actually probably could have offered something good. The doctor that went to the leper colony, that went to the tuberculosis hospitals, etc. The guy that then, when they landed on the, <laughs> on the beach in Cuba and chose the um, bullets instead of the first aid kit, that's the asshole. What happened, what happened in between there then? Oof. Well, I'll tell you what that's... happened. It's a perfect transition. <laughs> Castro happened. There you oh, go. right. The um, power of Castro. And I've been chasing Castro, wanting to put him in the alarmist jail for a long time. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. 
If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circuittravel.com to sign up. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And now let's pause again to hear what Professor Michael Bustamante has to say about Che and Castro's relationship. So he then meets Fidel Castro and his brother Raul in Mexico City. And this is uh, 1955. What has brought these two people together in Mexico City and why do they meet? Yeah, it's a pretty um, fortuitous, I guess, set of circumstances. Um, So on the one hand, Che is sort of run out of Guatemala uh, on the heels of the coup against our bands, along with others that had been sympathizers of that government. And at the same time, you know, two years later in 1952, um, a guy by the name of Fulgencio Batista, who had been Cuba's president one time before during the late 30s and then in the early 40s, he's running for office again in 52. He's losing in the polls and decides, I don't really like the way things are going, so I'm going to stage a coup and put myself back in power. And he does that with relative ease. That galvanizes a whole sort of uh, opposition movement against Batista, in which Fidel Castro is involved. Fidel Castro in 1953 has tried to launch an attack that would lead to the overthrow of of Batista. It fails miserably. Fidel and his brother Raul are thrown in jail for a while. They get let out, um, kind of the biggest mistake Batista ever made probably. And they then go into exile in Mexico. And so Che has arrived in Mexico City having come from Guatemala. My sense is that in Guatemala, he had also met some early Cuban exiles of the Batista government. And so he had some sense of what was going on in Cuba. And, it, and is eventually connected with the, with the Castro brothers and develops a, a deep uh, partnership. Hear the rest of our discussion about Che Guevara's life and death on Thursday's episode of The Aftermath. Is there a Che without a Castro? No. He fell in love with Castro. Like I, when, when I was reading up on this, he wrote a poem for Castro when they were about to leave. And it's a total love poem. Wow. It's like, I will follow you into the battle and you are. And I was like, whoa, Nelly. Wow. Yeah. That's very, very romantic. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing about Fidel is he was charming. Like, he's amazing how yeah. he charmed people. It's incredible. Yeah. He, could, he, went, he got his money from the States to dismantle the Cuban apparatus. Oh, sure. All right. Yeah. That's crazy. He got the the boat came from the States. Here's what I'm going to do. Don't worry. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask any questions. (laughs) One thing I remember reading years ago was that there's a scene um, with Fidel, Che, and Ernest Hemingway fishing together. In in Cuba. In Mexico. Oh, in Mexico. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you like... Like, uh, maybe I'll uh, write a little love poem, Hemingway style, <laughs> yeah. the love of my yeah. life. Maybe Hemingway wrote hey, you, it for him. Can, uh, you yeah. get, can you get the red pen out? Or yeah. <laughs> we have Castro up on the board. Definitely. And, and another big part of this Castro relationship is kind of Castro's betrayal with Che. He, he goes to the Congo and it's not working out. Before he goes, he writes this uh, letter 
to Castro saying, you know, I'm out, essentially. I, I got to go follow my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and Castro then reads this letter in a public speech so that everyone knew that Che was making this huge departure. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really a, a political move by Castro to do this. In, in part, he was distancing himself from the mess that was happening in Congo. Mm-hmm. And a- another part, you know, we we can discuss, it's like Castro could have been threatened. Number one, he could have been th- felt threatened by Che and his presence and his um, rise to fame. He was, at this point, by by, you know, five years after the revolution, he was... He's an idol. He's a, you know, there are statues of him in Cuba. Every, he's beloved. To quote uh, almost famous, your looks are beginning to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, Che was not really the kind of guy that you could easily control. He was a bit of a live wire. And that can be problematic when you're running a country. Mm-hmm. And he was an ideologue. Like, Fidel was never really ideological at all. He wasn't even a communist before the revolution, really. Raul was. But Fidel, Fidel was, he wanted to get Batista out, for sure. He saw a great future for himself. But he the was whole, the taller, more handsome one. Yes. <laughs> Raul had a little less chin. <laughs> Although Fidel had a lot of beard, so we don't know what chin was going on there. <laughs> anyway. Like, like Who knows? Peter Griffin chin. Like. <laughs> might have been. But uh, yeah, Fidel, Fidel was more about himself, I think, than anything else. You know. He was an opportunist. Yeah. If I don't say so myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah I think it's pretty universally agreed. He was an amazing opportunist and a very yes. talented opportunist. Che was not. At- che was. Che believed believed his stuff. He was not a strategic. No. So then, you know, there's this whole post or him going to Bolivia where Che thinks that he is being backed by uh, the Cubans. And then he gets there and he has no support. Nothing, nothing. So in a way, you can pin it on Castro in two different ways. One for creating Che and then another one for sort of not fulfilling his side of the promise yeah. and supporting him. If you want to get really Machiavellian, Che was worth more to him as a martyr than as a guy that was alive. Sure. He, wow. he, you can control yeah. them when they're dead. Yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. Ooh, man. Ooh. <laughs> you, just, you just opened up a whole new message board. <laughs> new, ca- new can of worms. <laughs> I do want to, I do, I was hoping to put beards on the board, if possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> beards, okay, go ahead. I mean, the one thing, the one thing that kept coming up when I was, when I was reading stuff is these guys were such machista. Beardies. Monsters. Well, they was like. You know, the revolution, we're going to change the world, but, you know, ladies, you know, there's some good fighters, but, you know, stay where you are kind of thing. (laughs) Well, we've slapped uh, Latin machismo before. We we should definitely slap it again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I like beards and I like uh, Latin machismo. Okay, so I think we also need to talk about the United States because they're a huge part in this uh, downfall of, of Che and, or, and actually in the execution of Che. 
the U.S. could be blamed for its foreign policy of fighting what they perceived as a communist threat in South America, just in general. They aggressively promoted democracy through imperialist means, the very thing that Che died fighting against. So this is according to thepanoptic.co.uk. Uh, They said the civil war, which erupted as a result of American intervention, stifled Guatemala's economic growth, put an end to its political independence and allowed a corrupt ruling class to dominate the country for its own political and economic gain. Furthermore, the Guatemalan army... Uh, use of indiscriminate torture, rape, executions, and massacres were arguably among the worst human rights abuses of the Cold War, and all under the auspices of maintaining, quote, freedom in the world. The U.S.'s goal was to contain the spread of communism in Latin America, and in in this, it technically succeeded, but Guatemala paid a high price. Yeah. I mean, do we really want to go for the whole of the USA on the court? Like, <laughs> you can narrow, you can definitely can go narrow it U.S. Down? government. U.S. government. U.S. government. You can even put US- like, United Fruit, CIA. You can put different <laughs> stuff. <laughs> right, because it's really the corporations that are occupying these lands. Yeah, man. Uh, but the government is helping them. Yeah, you the know. military is protecting the interests of these corporations. At all costs, yeah. Absolutely. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's like American greed. But it doesn't doesn't give me the punch I want. No, you know? to put on the board, yeah. It's it's the government because they you know they have the power. But then corporations. these com- corporations are the ones who are funding <sighs> you know these uh, you know there's money going back to the government. They're the ones who are putting these people in power. Corporate greed, fat cats. I don't know what what, what can you fat put cats. on American that? American fat cats. There you American go. fat cat. Nineteen sixties <laughs> American fat cats. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we okay. do need to talk about the CIA. They're the ones who uh, assisted and uh, even trained the 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 battalion, the Bolivian, you know, battalion that found him then you know there's this guy felix rodriguez who he's the head cia guy who gets sent he gets sent to bring him back to the united states and obviously it doesn't work um but in 1976 according to the summary of a cia debriefing uh, it says, although he apparently was under CIA instructions to do everything possible to keep him alive, Rodriguez, who I should s- side note, is Cuban-American, yep. and his uncle had been a minister in the Batista government. Oh, so right. his family had fled to Miami. Oh. Uh, Rodriguez transmitted the order to execute Guevara from the Bolivian high command to the soldiers at La, uh, La Higueras. Mm-hmm. And he also directed them not to shoot Guevara in the face so that the wounds would appear to be combat related and Come personally on. informed Che that he would be killed. After the execution, Rodriguez took Che's Rolex watch, often proudly showing it to reporters during the ensu- ensuing years. <laughs> che had a Rolex? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was curious. Bling, baby. Communist bling. Like, now, now, I, now I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta keep time in communism. Yeah, you're like, but yeah, if we're putting it, up if we're putting up Felix Rodriguez in the CIA, then we also have to put up the Bolivians themselves because Felix I agree. Ha- had the order to not actually kill the Bolivians. Were like, no, we're gonna kill him. You're really gonna hang yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the army. And I, I, what do, what do you think about the uh, Bolivian president at the time, Vallejos? Uh, yeah, he was not. <clears throat> yeah, 
He's a bit of tr- his mean, trouble. <laughs> we, I'm, we, sure, I'm sure you have. He's your, is he your Castro? Have you? <laughs> we've had so many. I mean, the thing about Bolivia is the bar is very low. We've had <laughs> such bad presidents. It's hard to put them in a ranking. There's an interesting story, which is um, talking about the fetishization of the stuff, his Rolex and all this. I went to school with a girl that was in my class. Her father was the helicopter uh, driver that uh, brought the battalion to capture Che. He was the man that took the last picture of Che that, you know, well, he was still alive. Yeah. Yeah. With Felix Rodriguez's camera. Wow. He had Che gave him his last notebook that he used for um, giving orders out to the to the rebels. So if you went to his house, he would show it to you. This was Che's notebook. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's crazy, huh? Just had like shopping lists and drawings of penis and that. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little little heart like Fidel and a little heart. And then shopping lists. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's like even the people who wanted Che dead were kind of fangirls yeah, over him. Absolutely. The whole that whole scene right before they kill him, it's this weird kind of Justin Bieber vibe, but at it's the same so time, yeah. yeah. He's a good looking guy. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. If he was ugly, with this situation wouldn't have happened. We have to put attractiveness on the board. Oh. Che's hotness. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, to your point, I think that the who, the person who was feeling threatened the most was the president. Well, it's a delicate balance because you also don't want to look like you're the puppet of the United States and doing the bidding of the United States, which is a huge thing at that point. So if you're the guy who killed them, at least you can, you know, you know, walk into yeah. the bar and be like, I killed Che. I, I think we should just put uh, um, putting, the president. I'm putting Bolivian slash uh, Rene Barriento. I got a question. Uh, maybe a spanner. Yeah. Um, Alberto, the guy, Granado? yeah, the guy that traveled with him in motorcycle diaries. What was what was that relationship? Was was it like, come on, Che, let's go, let's yeah. go, let's go? Let, yeah, he's got to go on the board. Oh wow, you're going, <laughs> you're going back in wow. time. I gotta go back. And you're dragging I, no, his I was friend. Just thinking the board. about it, yeah, his friend, the guy who like the bad influence, he takes you to all this. The, like, <laughs> I mean, he was that he was, was kind the, of a that, good guy. <laughs> but that, if that was the trip that opened up his eyes to the poverty of, of sure. I would I would actually yeah. put the second trip friend on the board more than Alberto. Yeah. Okay. Because he was a he was not a good travel buddy. You're talking about the the guy who gets into Guatemala. Yes. Yeah, that guy was bad influence. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I don't know bad He's influence. He's had so many. He's had so many. His I wife mean, his wife he's got to put on that, the board. That's uh, any anybody can end up shot in Bolivia. It just takes the right woman, <laughs> the right friend and the right bar. Yeah, that's right. Is that um <laughs> wow. Cassidy and the Sundance kid? Yeah. Next time I say let's go to Bolivia, let's go to Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> to Neil's point, friendly influences should definitely go up on the board. Yeah. I know I've said this before in the podcast, but my mom has a saying that she traumatized me with, which was that, uh, tell me who your friends are. Mm -hmm. Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. Mm. (laughs) I want to put one last thing up on the board. Great. I want to put his famous picture. Oh, yeah. You know, what came first, the icon or the picture? Mm. Yeah. And this is a photo that was taken by a Cuban photographer, Albert Corda. And it's obviously been the one that's been replicated the most. And it was taken um, in 1960 when a ship of weapons had exploded in the Havana Harbor, killing more than 100 workers. 
And it was blamed on the CIA working with the Cuban counter-revolutionaries. And then in a ceremony held to mark the incident, Corda took this picture. In passing, he didn't think much of it. It was actually apparently rejected by some newspapers. (laughs) Someone came to him and was like, do you happen to have uh, a picture of Che? And he's like, oh, I have this one on, on my wall. Like (laughs) that I took a while ago. And of course, it's the, you know, it's the famous image. But that kind of, you know, in the end, his fame is what got him captured. I heard something about the screen print, the the screen print, the guy who made it like kind of doctored it a little bit. He like moved Shay's eyes up and like put them slightly (laughs) closer together. That's funny. (laughs) But yeah, he he altered it to make him more, more, more handsome. Oh, nice. Yeah. Are we putting Photoshop on the board? Yeah, let's put, yeah. Let's put, uh, let's put airbrushing. Just like merch? Should we just call it merch? Merch. I like that. That's a There's great thing more. to put on the board. Death by merch. That's 100%. Everyone's got a merch page. Man. You have like a thousand Twitter followers. It's like, buy my merch. Do you, would you guys, is there anything else that you'd like to throw up on the board before we start? Oof, what's, up, what's up there? We've got machismo. Right. Beards are up there. Yeah. I'm happy about I'll that. Give you a, Fat cats. I'll give you a quick. I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, so we got Che himself, Che's parents, asthma, uh, Castro, beards, <laughs> Latin Latin machismo. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, everything you say, we put up on the board. It's fantastic. You know, I'm, very happy. I'm, I'm embarrassed and happy at the same time. <laughs> uh, American fat cats, the CIA, Bolivians slash, uh, I guess uh, Rene Barriento, hot hotness, hotness being yeah. too hot, yeah, being too, too sexy. hot, bad wow. friends, and famous pick slash merch. Off the bat, I think we can take hotness off. Because Otherwise, I, we'd all be in trouble. Yeah, oh, well, I, <laughs> nice. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I like my freedom. You know what I mean? I don't want to go to an alarmist jail. I would agree with that because, I mean, I guess it, if, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, then if the guy who had shot him had found him attractive, he might have let him out the back door. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah I guess it's more in the merch territory. It's the icon, right? Yeah. The uh, Yeah. I also think that we can take beards off. Now, that's um, a shame. Not in, in, in all fairness, while he was reading it, I was like, oh, I think beards might go to jail because that's what kind of gave him away. And I know that he shaved in order to get into Bolivia. Yeah. He, you know, shaved his beard and he also plucked. I heard he plucked the top hairs out of his head yeah. so that he would look bald. Yeah. Uh, but I, ultimately, I think we take beards off. And as much as I want to also blame asthma. Um, it's unfair. Yeah. It is unfair. I, I, that, one was, that one's kind of tickling me the most. You like to put, what, do you want to put asthma in jail? or? What uh, but, well, I, it, that could possibly be rolled into Che himself. Because sure. okay. you have it that bad. You have that kind of an affliction. You know, yeah, you're right. Insane. There's no asthma if there's no Che, right? And there's no Che if there's no asthma. There you go. Well, it was what he did when he was home alone with asthma. It's like when I got sick... Uh, with mono, I just watched reruns of like Saved by the Bell. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like learn learn anything, you know. Like, <laughs> okay, so we're taking asthma out. Yeah, and I mean, I think that his, we can, t- to a certain extent, we can blame his parents for you know you learn a lot of the things you have, you know, you who you are from your parents, right? Hmm. But 
he also had way too many influences for me to be like, oh, that's straight up parents. Yeah. yeah. A parent problem. So I think we can take the parents off the board. Uh, yeah, I think he, well. he, he himself has a really big role in this. If he didn't have that character, all of the, these influences, the parents, the asthma, wouldn't have turned him into the man he became. I'm, I'm going to shock myself right now by <laughs> saying this. Are you about to take Fidel off the board? Hell no. Oh, okay. Hell no. <laughs> I was like, wow. You're taking merch off. <laughs> no, I'm taking Latin machismo out. What? While I think that it is prevalent with those, you know, with Che. Yeah. I also think that it's it was an underlying part of the culture and like not everyone is Che. True. Similar to asthma, I think that Latin machismo is part of Che. Here, I want to make a case for eliminating American fat cats. To me, the fat cats, it's sort of like um, the scorpion and the frog, right? Like a, a fat cat is just acting in their own sort of that's in their nature. They, if you know, they want to grow, they want to exploit like, and they want to get bigger. But I think where, where we've gone too far is we created the CIA and yeah. we had military interventions to protect those interests. I also think that we can take the Bolivians and the president off. Well, I think that they literally killed him. Yeah. They're <laughs> high-fiving. Over there. Um, <laughs> uh, while they literally killed him, I think you guys that this just is... got away with murder. I hope <laughs> yeah. you're happy. Yeah. I do think this is bigger than the Bolivians. Yeah, yeah, and if we take the fat cats off, then we gotta take the Bolivians off because they were what, defending the 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 hegemony of the country. They were there was there this was white def- invader dude trying to take over the country. Yeah. What are they gonna mm-hmm. do? Yeah. I also think that we can take his bad friends out yeah. because his worst friend was Castro. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that that feel I feel like that it, encompasses it. Yeah, there's a decision to be made here. As much as I, I, I almost took out merch, but then I was like, "Gosh, is you know?" It almost like fed into his ego. Well, and it also gave Fidel the reason to do what he did. So it's it's tricky. Maybe a it's myth. also the reason the CIA was after him. So are we? I mean, yeah, what, is is it a situation where we send merch to jail to slap merch? The CIA, well, uh, I, I was going to say, like, th- what came first, the chair or the CIA, yeah, right? That's a yeah. tough one. They're kind it of, seems they're like they're involved, the too, they're involved, like, way too close to the end of his death. Yeah, and then to, they get involved, be, like, the whole, what, everything that happens in Latin America after that is all baked into that. Oof. What killed him? What killed, what uh, honestly, killed I want to say Castro killed him. <laughs> This is going to be controversial, guys. Yeah, whatever we're going to... Whatever we pick, it's going to be bad. Can we, <laughs> we're going to we, get those emails. Can we put Castor and Che's relationship? <laughs> just combine them. <laughs> just combine them. That Doesn't that absolve guilt? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. I would go for a suicide over a murder. Yeah, I ultimately feel, in my heart of hearts, that Che is the most responsible for his own death than anyone else. Mm. Oh, this hurts. Heartbreak. I got to... I gotta, agree with you in what I was the reason I said oh this hurts yeah is because I almost had Castro I think that we should send Che to the alarmist jail I think so and I think that we should give Castro the big slap I'm I'm good with that it feels it feels like we've done something wrong that feels a little but wrong it, but if sometimes <laughs> things difficult should, things difficult should feel things yeah. should feel a little bit wrong <laughs> this like this like division between Che the good guy and the Ernesto and Che. Yeah. yeah. And the person that kind of lost his mind. 
That makes me feel a little bit bad. Yeah. It's because you end up only with that chair and then you lose the motorcycle diaries somehow. Well, why don't we say that we're sending Che to jail, but Ernesto can go free? We keep Gail Gail Garcia Bernal Che and and then we send Benicio Del Toro Che to jail. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that is maybe... Symbolic in that is the merch. I feel like that's what then we're sending the merch to jail. Oh my god! Wow. Because it's it's true, it's che, kind of. That's a che, twist at the end. Che is the icon. Yeah, but Ernesto, he doesn't live person. on a shirt. He he breathes, and it if we with prick trouble him, he bleeds. He breathes with trouble. <sighs> I Ble- agree with that. Yeah. Holy yeah, shit! Do. Wow, that's good. Oh, so are we sending merch to the alarmist? Yeah, yeah. this <laughs> is taking a real. <laughs> Chun, chun, chun. Boy, you can see those guys and gals when we open the alarmist jail to put in just a box of t-shirts and they're like, what the fuck? They're like, what is this? Like, this is your can't... new uniform. They're all now wearing like pants, jail pants, like striped jail pants that like shake one shirts over oh, that's there. That's fantastic. I'm calling it, guys. Castro, you're getting the big slap. Chair merch, you're going to the alarmist jail. Oh, so close. Ooh. It feels good, so though. Close. It that, must feel good. It feels that, right. Yeah, yeah right? that feels better because feels my, better. My, ig- my ignorance on a person based just on one image of him as opposed to knowing the person, that makes me feel better about this, the, whole, the whole thing. Putting him in prison. Yeah. Putting the picture of him in prison yeah. without knowing. Right. <laughs> You're just going to put him on the wall? Just get him in there. Well, guys, it's been such a pleasure Amazing. talking and figuring lovely. out who's to blame. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have done it without you. Really couldn't. Well, thank that you was for so much fun. Thanks for, for inviting us, us in here. After the execution of Che, the Bolivians flew Che's body to Valle Grande, where his corpse was photographed. The Bolivians had a strong desire to show definitive proof that Che was dead. Later in 1967, Castro delivered a eulogy for Che to a massive crowd at Havana's Plaza de la Revolución. Referring to the U.S., Castro said, quote, They are mistaken who believe that his death is the defeat of his ideas, the defeat of his tactics, the defeat of his guerrilla concepts. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the at gmail.com make sure to tune in next week we'll be discussing the tulsa massacre Powered by ACAST.